Well, if you're just joining us today, uh, we are in uh, actually getting near the end of a sermon series that we've been in uh, for the last several months where we're looking at the life of Moses, who's one of the uh, major figures in the Old Testament scriptures and the whole Bible. And um, for most of this series, we've been journeying through the book of Exodus. And then last week, we jumped into the book of Numbers, and that's where we're going to be again today. And it's actually the second to last sermon in this series. And so what we're doing, even though we're only jumping from chapter 11 to chapter 20 today, we're actually fast-forwarding about 40 years in time. According to Numbers 33, this is, that's where we are in our passage. This is, this is 40 years of doing this, 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. So today we're going to look at this passage from Numbers chapter 20, verses 1 through 13. You can find it printed in your bulletin, and I'm going to read it for us and then pray before we dive in and and see what else we can learn from uh, looking at Moses' life. So hear now God's word to us today from Numbers chapter 20. It says, And the people of Israel, the whole congregation, came into the wilderness of Zin in the first month. And the people stayed in Kadesh, and Miriam died there and was buried there. Now there was no water for the congregation, and they assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. And the people quarreled with Moses and said, Would that we had perished when our brothers perished before the Lord. Why have you brought the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness, that we should die here, both we and our cattle? And why have you made us come up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? It is no place for grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, and there is no water to drink. Then Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting and fell on their faces. And the glory of the Lord appeared to them. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the staff and assemble the congregation, you and Aaron your brother, and tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. So you shall bring out of the rock, water out of the rock for them, and give drink to the congregation and their cattle. And Moses took the staff from before the Lord as he commanded him. Then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, and he said to them, Hear now, you rebels. Shall we bring water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice, and water came out abundantly. And the congregation drank and their livestock. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. These are the waters of Meribah, where the people of Israel quarreled with the Lord, and through them he showed himself holy. Let's pray. Father, I um, think this morning about um, what the psalmist says in Psalm 27 and how he longs to dwell in your house that he may gaze upon your beauty. Um, And today, as as we're in a holiday weekend, as we've um, wrapping up the spring, heading into the summer, I know for me, it feels like a lot going on uh, I want that, Lord. I want that for us, that you would um, give us a longing to gaze upon your beauty, to dwell in your house. And I pray now that as we are here, gathered as your people, um, Lord, you would open our eyes by your spirit to help us see your beauty, uh, even as we look at this story together. Um, So would you uh, minister it to our hearts in all the ways that we need it this morning, wherever we are. Um, Be with us now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, season three of Ted Lasso wraps up this week, and uh, don't worry, no spoilers if you haven't seen it, but 
the season kicked off back in March with a bang with Nate Shelley, the wonder kid and the former, former AFC Richmond assistant coach, now head coach at West Ham at a press conference talking about his former team and boss. At the urging of Rupert Mannion, the wicked owner of West Ham, Nate uses the press conference to attack Ted and his former team. And as it begins, Nate is asked by a reporter why he thinks all the media pundits are picking AFC Richmond to finish 20th in the league that year. And he responds kind of sheepishly saying, well, probably because there's no 21st. And after he says this, he gets some chuckles and kind of builds some confidence. And then as the press conference continues, a picture comes out of Ted taking AFC Richmond on, um, on an unlikely field trip to the sewers of all places. And this picture comes out on social media during the press conference. So, so, so then a reporter asks Nate what he thinks about that. And then he continues, as he's asked, he continues his assault on Ted. He sort of doubles down by publicly demeaning him, belittling him in front of everyone. And watching from her office on her laptop, at the same time, Rebecca, the owner of AFC Richmond, is furious. When she sees this, she slams her laptop shut. She calls Ted into her office as soon as he returns with the team from the sewers. And he says, Ted, everyone, she says, Ted, everyone is laughing at us. I'm begging you, please fight back. And the show is so well done. Because right after this dramatic moment with the camera focused on Ted, before he has a chance to respond, it fades to the scene where he's sitting at a press conference of his own. And it builds this tension and this anticipation in you as the viewer. It makes you think, like, how is he going to respond? What is he going to do? Is he going to respond in his trademark kindness, or is he going to finally break out and and let loose his anger on this person who's completely turned against him? Now, I bring that up because our passage today builds a similar kind of anticipation in us. It builds a similar kind of question because as Moses and Aaron have now been leading the people of Israel, as I said, in the wilderness for 40 years, we read that once again, the people have turned against them. And verse 2 sets the scene for us where it tells us this, that now there was no water for the congregation, and they, the assembly, assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. And the people quarreled with Moses and said, Would that we had perished when our brothers perished before the Lord. Why have you brought the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness that we should die here, both we and our cattle? And why have you made us come up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place. It is no place for grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, and there is no water to drink. And so they band together against them. They complain about their leadership. They criticize them. They unfairly blame them for where they are. And the question is, how is Moses going to respond? What is he going to do? Is he going to respond in kindness, or is he going to break out in anger? And just like Jason Sudeikis and the makers of Ted Lasso want to build up the drama of this scene to emphasize Ted's response to Nate, the way this story flows, it wants us to focus on Moses' response to these people he's struggling with. And so that's what we're going to focus our energies on as well this morning as we look at this. And as we do, we're also going to think about how we respond when we find ourselves in situations like this. We're going to think about what flows out of us most naturally, especially when we're dealing with hard people and relationship dynamics, is it kindness or is it anger? 
And what are we to do about it? And so that's the plan. And so let's get into it. But before we get into the weeds of how Moses responds, let's actually start by looking at how God responds, how he responds to these people who are grumbling and complaining to him and about him once again. So how does God respond? Well, God responds with kindness. He responds with kindness. Look at verse 6. It tells us, Then Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting and fell on their faces. And the glory of the Lord appeared to them, and the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the staff, assemble the congregation, you and Aaron your brother, and tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. So you shall bring water out of the rock for them and give drink to the congregation and their cattle. So to the irrational complaints of the people, God responds with kindness. He appears in his glory to Moses and Aaron. He tells them he's going to give them water from a rock again like he did back in Exodus 17, and he tells them how he's going to do it this time. As we talked about last week, this is a major pattern for this group to act this way. And so this is a surprising response from God. If we just take into account what we've seen through the story we looked at last week in Numbers 11. But as I said, a lot of time has passed since then in our story as a people. And there's been even more grumbling, even more complaining, even more criticizing. You can just skim through Numbers 12 through 19 and you can see that. It's all over the place. But in spite of their unfaithfulness to him, God continues to be faithful to them. He continues to be the God he told Moses he was going to be when he came to him in the burning bush. He continues to be the God he showed him that he was when he gave him a glimpse of his glory. The God who's merciful and gracious, who's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, like that, that's just who he is. That's, that's, that's the only thing he can do. This is who he is. As we get close to the summer like this, my mind always starts going to the lake, being there, hanging out, playing, being with friends and family. It's just been a staple of the summers for me throughout my life. And in the summer at the lake house is also normally the only time of year I get to see some long-standing family friends of ours. This is a couple who became friends with our grandparents years ago and then have, have since become friends with all of us. And a big part of the joy of seeing them each summer is the joy of seeing the husband of the couple, Ronnie, go to work while he's there. And, and what I mean is Ronnie is not one of those people who likes to sit on the dock um, and read a book or bask in the sun. Like he loves to work. And I don't mean work at his, like do his regular um, work that he does for a job, but he, he just loves to, to be doing things. He loves to fix things. And so what he does is every time he's there, he starts going around and trying to figure out what he can try to fix, like whether it's a boat or something on the dock or the house. And over the years, we've kind of, it's been a running joke that he, he, we think he gets up early or maybe goes before and actually breaks some things so that then he can have something to fix while he's there. Like that's just who he is. And that's what he does. He can't do anything else when he comes and he stays with us at the lake house. See, this passage is showing us here this is who God is, and this is, this is just what he does. He's kind. He's gracious. Sure, there, there's judgment, and we've seen that in our story, but this is at the core, the center of God's heart. This is who he is, and it's what you find once again. The people come at these leaders he's given them, and he, and he says, Moses, Aaron, here's what let's do. Let's gather everybody together. You speak to the rock, and let's give them water. So God responds in kindness. Well, then as we move into looking at Moses' response, well, that's what we should expect 
him to respond with, right? He's God's servant. He spent so much time with God. He's walked with him for so many years. So he should respond in kindness too, right? (laughs) Wrong. Because even though verse 9 tells us that him and Aaron did hear this and initially um, began well, by the time you get to verse 10, the wheels start to come off. So look again at verse 9. Moses took the staff from before the Lord as he commanded him. Okay, that's good. Then verse 10, then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, and he said to them, Hear now, you rebels, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice. So how does Moses respond? God responds with kindness. How does Moses respond? Not with kindness. He responds with anger. And in his anger, he doesn't obey God at all. Look at this. To start with, God tells him to speak to the rock. Again, verse 8, God says, take the staff and assemble the congregation, you and Aaron, your brother, and tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. He never says, speak to the people, but that's the first thing Moses does. And what does he say? He says, here now, you rebels. Right? He screams at him. I was thinking of like an ancient Near Eastern version of Bobby Knight, Right, or some angry coach screaming at their players the day after they played a bad game. So he screams at them, and then after he's chewed them out for what, when God didn't ask him to, he disobeys by hitting the rock instead of speaking to it. He takes his staff, which was probably the staff of Aaron from number 17 that was special and sacred, and he hits the rock not once, but twice. And you can't imagine these are little love taps. Right? I mean, he's swinging on this. And so Moses loses it. Right? What we're seeing here in this scene is an absolute meltdown. He loses his mind. And yes, let's not give the people here a pass. They are doing a bad thing. They are sinning against Moses and against God. But check this out. God, the main person they're sinning against, responds with kindness. While Moses, God's servant, responds with anger. And here's the point for you and me. Isn't this just what we do? Isn't this exactly what you and I do? Someone hurts us, lets us down, disappoints us in some way. Maybe like this, they complain about us and criticize us. And we love that God is kind. We love that he's the kind of God who gives grace and who's slow to anger. We love to hear about that and think about that truth. But when these kinds of things happen, that's not how we respond. We often don't respond with kindness like this. We respond with anger. We want to fight back. We want to punish them. We want to put people in their place. I mean, I'll be honest, that's what I wanted watching Ted Lasso in that scene. Like in that moment of anticipation, that's where my heart was. I want him to go after Nate. And even if you're not someone who thinks of yourself as having a lot of anger, Sarah will say to me from time to time, gosh, Aaron, you never get angry. You never struggle with anger. And I always remind her, yes, I do. I'm just really good at hiding it. But it does come out. I mean, speaking of God's kindness, I was driving to our leadership community meeting here on Monday night, right after I just got done soaking in this passage for two or three hours, starting to think about the sermon for this week. And two or three different times while we were driving over here, it's like a six minute drive, just for context. Like I got really upset and and people did some things that I consider to be questionable driving. And I, I would say these things like, oh, what are you doing? And Sarah is like, whoa, why are you so mad? And I'm like, I'm not. (laughs) Calm down. Right? And it was, 
it was convicting because I realized that's how I act most of the time when I drive. There's just normally not somebody with me, so I don't realize it. Right? And so it's been a clear example to get me thinking about how quickly anger comes out for me when people frustrate me or they don't do what I think they should be doing. And you, you can think about how this shows up for you in your own life, but it's just the way we go. Like Moses, your bent and my bent is almost always to be less gracious and kind than God. Unlike him, we're usually not slow to anger, but we're pretty quick to it. The question is why? Because that doesn't really make sense. And so what's going on? What's the reason for this disconnect there is? Well, to find it, we've got to dig just a little deeper into what's really going on with Moses. And so look at this again. Look what he says here. Look at what he says here very carefully. Look at his language. So again, verse 10. Then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, and he said to them, Hear now, you rebels. Shall we bring water for you out of this rock? So we've talked about Moses' anger, how it leads to disobedience, him not doing what God told him to do. Yes, this is clearly disobedience, but there's more going on here. This isn't just simple disobedience. Because notice exactly what he says. First, he calls them rebels. And that's not a false statement. They literally are being rebels in this moment. But do you see the irony? Moses yells at them for being rebels while he's rebelling in this very moment, speaking to them when God didn't tell him to, striking the rock when he, God told him to speak to it. And then notice he says, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? We, meaning me and Aaron, shall we give you this water? But God's the one who's doing it. He's the one who's actually going to bring out this rock supernaturally for them. And so what is this? Moses is not merely disobeying God. He's putting himself in his shoes. In calling them rebels, Moses puts himself in the position of judge. In saying, shall we bring water for you out of the rock? He's putting himself in the position of deliverer of rescuer, of provider. He puts himself in the position of God, and in so doing, Moses forgets who he is, and he forgets who God is. He forgets he's not the judge, but he's a rebel too, who also deserves to be judged. He forgets he's not the deliverer, but he's a man who needs to be delivered and who has been delivered. He forgets grace. He forgets the kindness God has showed him. And so when they frustrate him and act like they do, instead of being kind, he gets angry, he gets bitter, he gets self-righteous, and he explodes on them like he does. And isn't that what we do too? When anger flows from us instead of kindness, this is usually what's happening. Whether we realize it or not, you and me, we're putting ourselves in the position of God. In our hearts, we appoint ourselves to the position of judge, and deliverer, and we forget who God is and who we are and all he's done for us, and then we operate and we react out of that. So if we go back to my example, driving, when I'm in the car at a stoplight and it turns green, and the person at the front of the line doesn't move because they're on Instagram or Spotify or sending a text or whatever they're doing, and I get frustrated about it, and I want them to be publicly rebuked, like I want them to lose some sort of driving privilege. You can tell I'm parenting small kids, thinking about people losing privileges. But what's happening is I'm putting myself in the position of judge and hero, and I'm forgetting this happens to me too, right? I do this exact same thing. I'm not a perfect driver. I make mistakes 
all the time, but because I forget this, what comes out of me isn't kindness. It's not compassion. It's not curiosity. All the things I would want someone to give me if I was in this spot, but it's anger. And if you think about when you get frustrated with people you're dealing with, when you just get angry at people in your life, you're so annoyed and that's your primary disposition toward them. This is probably what you're doing. This is probably the way you're living. You've made yourself judge and savior over them. You've put yourself into God's role. And especially if you're leading people, I mean, that's a whole other angle that we could look at this in, but this is especially easy to do and especially dangerous when you're leading people. People aren't listening to you like you wish they were. They're not changing the way you want them to. They're challenging you. And instead of leading them with the kindness and patience of God, you lead them in this kind of cynical, bitter anger. And that's why God here takes Moses and Aaron's response so seriously. Because as leaders, they're misrepresenting who he is. They're the leaders he's given for the people of Israel to lead in his name, and they're acting this way. That's why after they do this, God tells them they can't go into the promised land anymore. In verse 12, the Lord said to Moses, because you did not believe in me to uphold me as, the holy, as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. He says, because you did not believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people. He says, as a leader, you're misrepresenting who I am. You're showing them I'm harsher and I'm angrier than I actually am. And so as a side note for you and me, if we're in any kind of leadership position, whether it's me doing something like this as a pastor, whether you're, if you're in a volunteer position, community group leader, youth leader, children's ministry, maybe you're a young life leader or something like that, whatever it is, like we really need to watch this and pay attention. It's very easy for our hearts to go this way. But we even do it to ourselves, don't we? Don't we beat ourselves up? We're really hard on ourselves. And see, when we make ourselves judge and deliver in our own lives, we get angry and frustrated when we don't measure up. We're not kind to ourselves the way God is. And so there's this this huge disconnect in our lives between the kindness of God and then the anger that we show and live out of so often. And this is why, because this is what we do. And so then our final question is, how can we make this connection? How can we reconnect these two things? How does the kindness of God become the thing that flows out of us instead of our anger? Well, the answer is we need to re-experience God's kindness to us. We need to re-experience his kindness to us. When we've forgotten it, we need to receive it again. You see, God is, is so kind to the complaining people and to Moses by still giving them water out of the rock to everyone when Moses doesn't follow his instructions at all. Again, verse 11, Moses does everything wrong. He lifted up his hand. He struck the rock with his staff twice. But what does God do? Water, and water came out abundantly. Not just a little bit, but it came out abundantly, and the congregation drank and their livestock. And so there's kindness here flowing to them through this water. But there's even kindness in the punishment he brings on Moses and Aaron. And you say, where is the kindness in that? That doesn't seem kind at all. And I I wrestled with this a lot this week. It it seemed kind of harsh to me, God's response on the first, in the first few times that I read it. But there is kindness here. 
See, because, you know, God could have said, Moses, I'm done with you because of this. Because you haven't listened to me, because you've misrepresented me like this, like, I'm done with you. I'm out on you. And this is a serious consequence he gives them, but God doesn't do that. He doesn't say, I'm done with you. We're going to wrap up our series, as I said, next week by looking at uh, Moses' death and thinking about his legacy. And according to the rest of the scriptures, Moses is a godly man. That's how he's viewed. You can look at how the, he's talked about in the book of Hebrews. This is clearly not someone God wrote off and let go of. But what's happening here is God loved Moses too much to let him stay in this angry, bitter place. This self-righteous place that leads to our destruction. And so what he did with this harsh consequence of his sin is, God reminded him, Moses, you're a rebel too. Moses, you're just like them. You need my grace just as much as they do. And I'm not letting you forget that. I'm not going to let you continue down this path. I love you too much for that. So they're going to go in without you so you can remember just how much grace you need and just how much grace I've given you. Even in the judgment, there's kindness, kindness that Moses didn't deserve. And if you think about Moses' life based on this, based on all that he experienced that we've seen and, and so much more, he had a clear view of God's kindness and grace. But see, we need to realize that based off where we are today, we have an even clearer one, a much better one. Because as Paul tells us in Titus chapter 3, many years later, God's kindness became a person. And he came to us when we didn't deserve his kindness at all. He says this in Titus chapter 3, starting in verse 3. He says, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. You see a lot of anger in there. But verse 4, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Moses had a lot he could look on to see God's kindness. But we can look at Jesus. We can look at the kindness he demonstrated throughout all of his life, but most of all, we can look at the kindness demonstrated at the cross. The cross that more than anything reminds us who we really are, that we are rebels who deserve to be judged for our rebellion. But the cross, it also reminds us more than anything that God hasn't given us what we deserve, but Jesus has taken what we deserve so he could give us what only he deserves. See, the cross is the place that, that more than anything shows us who we are and it shows us who God is and all that he's done for us. It shows us that you and I have a God who's willing to take the blows of our angry rebellion against him upon himself so that he can give us the only water that can truly quench our thirst and give it to us in abundance. See, this is the key, seeing God's kindness, receiving it in a fresh way, letting it wash over you once again when you don't deserve it. If we go back to the press conference, once Ted settles in and answers a warm-up question about the team being picked to finish last place, the question everybody's been waiting for comes up. A reporter stands up and asks, 
Ted, do you have a response to the comments made earlier by your former assistant coach, Nathan Shelley? Ted pauses, looks the reporter in the eye with a serious look on his face, says, yes, I do. And he pauses, and just for a minute, you think he's about to do it. He's about to do it. He's about to let loose. But then he responds like this. I thought it was hilarious. I mean, he came and got us, didn't he? No doubt about that, but that's Nate the Great for you. You know, he's the same way on the pitch. He'll find the tiniest little weakness in in a team and just attack that. He's a junkyard dog and smart. They're real lucky to have him over there in West Ham. I wish him the best of luck. When he responds like this, the room is silent. Nobody can believe it. It changes the whole dynamic right away. Just this action. And I would argue it changes the whole dynamic of the show and where it goes from here on. And for me, I said earlier, I wanted in my heart Ted to, be, to respond in anger, to go off on Nate. But it changed the dynamic in my heart. Right when I watched this, I was convicted. I was like, man, yeah, this is it. it, it that's the power of kindness. And see, Paul tells us in Romans 2, 4 that it's God's kindness that leads to repentance. This kindness coming to us when we deserve his anger. And so whether for the first time or once again, would you open yourself up to this today? Would you let the love of God in Jesus come to you and wash over you so that this becomes more and more what flows out of you most naturally? Not saying you can't be heard and frustrated and let down, but would you open yourself up to this so that even when people frustrate you, even when they disappoint you and complain about you, what can begin to come out of you most naturally is kindness. So that little by little, day after day, over time, you can grow more and more into the character of the gracious God, the kind God that you have. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness and kindness to us uh, that we see most of all in Jesus um, who saved us, not because of our good works, Um, but in spite of them. And Lord, I ask that uh, by your spirit, we would be able to experience your kindness to us in a fresh way this morning um, and that it would change us uh, the the way kindness does, that it would lead to our repentance and would lead to a deeper trust in you and love for you and therefore those in our lives, we ask in Jesus' name, amen.